I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. going on Celtics fans how you doing how you feeling I think everybody's gonna be in probably the best mood physically possible right now as usual I'm your boy Adam Taylor joined by my homie my compadre my co-host in crime Mr. Will Weir and don't forget my other homie my other compadre my other co-host in crime Mr. Greg Manakis we're the free man weave and we are hyped what's going on y'all Yo, I'm so excited right now. I can't believe I like I'm 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 really worried because I know that we have to keep this family friendly, but like how can you not just like <laughs> let the expletives fly after game seven win like that in the Boston Garden? I'm not saying TD Garden, in the Boston Garden, Grant Williams going bananas. Um what a what a win, what a series. Will, how you feeling? Grant Williams, aka Steph Curry, cash money grant. Woo! I mean, here's the thing. We we we've talked about this a lot, you know, over you know th- on Twitter and in other in other different mediums about you know it being the five year anniversary of the Kelly Olynyk Game Seven, also Eastern Conference Semifinals, and we're like, man, are we gonna get another performance like that today? Grant doesn't disappoint. Grant wanted to honor the Kelly Olynyk tradition that exists in the second round with the Boston Celtics, and we're moving on. That's 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 the end of the day. Grueling series. Moving on. Pumped to be here right now. I mean, we have to start with Grant, man. Like, look, I don't want to spend <laughs> I don't want to spend too much time on this series, but I think we have to, man. This was a oh, yeah. this was a slobber knocker. I don't think there's another way to say it, it was a slobber knocker. Game one through game seven. The Celtics are the only team in this series to win two games straight. Just let that sink in. That in itself is an achievement. I don't even know what to say, man. I'm so, like, for anybody like listening, uh, listening on the podcast on Monday morning, we're recording this live straight after the game. We're going to be taking some viewer comments when people come in and comment. Like, we are hyped up. Grant Williams with his own Kelly Olynyk game, playing just this wild role, telling everybody, "Yo, I want that extension right now." Boston moving on to Miami. Tatum without Tatum down the stretch in the third through foul trouble. This team just found a way to win, man. And let's be fair, at halftime, at halftime, as an Englishman would say, I try and Americanize that. Um, <laughs> I weren't, I weren't feeling too confident, man. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. But the 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 big thing that that switched that momentum though is that Marcus Smart like redemption three point foul shot at half court with 0.9 seconds left. You know, to get the redemption from what was it, game three? Was that game three? Game game three was at the end, yeah. Yeah, game three, where, where we didn't get that call. And um, for him to get the call on Giannis at half court, get those three shots, that felt like things were starting to shift. You know, you know, we've been talking about the energy shifting all year since the Jalen Brown quote, uh, since the Jalen tweet. And that was when I was like, okay, you know what? If that call is going to go our way in this game, then it feels like Celtics fans can breathe a little bit easier going into halftime because that put us up five, 48, 43 going into halftime. And it was a little nerve wracking when JT got that uh, fourth foul with seven minutes and 44 seconds left in the third quarter. But as I said on the playback from that we just came from, 
in the net series, the game where Tatum fouled out, the team learned how to play without him. And they did the same thing in that seven minutes and 44 seconds because we were up 10 when he went out. And when uh, when he came back in, we were up 15. So the guys really stepped up. We trusted each other. We moved the ball. Nobody played hero ball, though. We took a couple bad shots. But that's, you know, that's typical uh, NBA offense, NBA games. And I was really proud of the guys. I think they all picked each other up. And as, as Adam said, the grant extension is real. I don't know if the Zach Lowe talk of 20 million to 25 million is going to be the number, <laughs> but I'm I'm willing to entertain any number for Grant Williams right now. What a game for that guy. If I'm Grant Williams agent, I'm on the phone right now. Right now is the, is the most leverage you're ever going to have in negotiations. <laughs> I don't think you can even sign a deal right now, but right now I would be making sure that I'm imprinting in Brad Stevens' mind that you remember today. You remember the day that Grant Williams showed up at the TD Garden and knocked down all those threes. Do it in a Boston accent, TD Garden. Came to the TD Garden and knocked down <laughs> all those threes in your eye. You, you all said I couldn't do it, and I did it. Bro, bro, you don't think Grant Williams deserves $20 million? You don't think he deserves $20 million? Get out of here. Give him the max. Give him the max. Give him the max, kid. Kid, give him the max. Let him move into a house in Dorchester. It doesn't matter, like, where we, like, Seaport, you know, Beacon Hill. doesn't matter. $20 million plus whatever place he wants. Give him the Matt Damon apartment from the departed overlooking the state house. It doesn't exist. It's not a real apartment. Yeah. But give him one, man. <laughs> Grant Williams, king of Boston right now. Oh, man, that was that, that that just made this episode for me, dude. I'm not even joking. Yo, so I want to touch on, like, the, the way the offense was in the first half versus the way it was in the second, right? So it was very, I mean, we were all on playback. We were watching it live. You know, we had people tuned in. And one of the things that all three of us kind of had an issue with to start the game was it was very one-possession offense, right? It was bring the ball up, shoot a free, maybe penetrate once, reset then shoot the free come the second half of the game you're seeing multiple penetration actions multiple kicks people aren't settling they're finding the open man for some reason milwaukee were just like we're gonna let grant williams go off and then when grant williams started to get hot they were like well we're already here we might as well just carry on with what we're doing so it was like night and day in terms of like i felt like they had i mean does it feel like the celtics played a little bit of rope though I don't, I'm not sure if I would call it rope dope because at one point, you know, it was the, the Celtics were, well, Grant in particular was two for seven from three, right? And that was the point in which we were all just like, oh, is he shooting too many threes right now? Because they're definitely like goading him into taking those three pointers. And then he hit his eighth one. Then he's three for eight, right? And you're like, okay, that's 37.5%. That's pretty money. If Grant Williams is going to hit 37.5% of his threes in this game, then we're in good shape. I, I don't know what he ended up. Was he seven for 18? 38.9%. So he did 30, not hit 37%. He had 38.9%. 38.9%, you know? And I don't know if I would call it rope-a-dope, Adam, but it definitely seemed like in the first quarter, we were kind of feeling things out and we were saying, okay, they're going to give us three these three-pointers. Let's see if we're hot, you know? And that's mm -hmm. kind of what it felt like the guys were doing. And Tatum was hot, right? Tatum was four for four. I believe in the first quarter, maybe the first half. I'm, I'm confused at this point. Um, but I think with with Jalen coming out and looking good, Derek White was 0 for 4 in the first half. Grant was 3 for 8 or if there were 3 for 9, whatever he ended up being in that first half. This, the Celtics eventually started hitting those shots. And this was also a big game for our guy Peyton Pritchard, who, you know, as I was saying in the playback room, I had a feeling that it was going to be a Peyton Pritchard game. And uh, he really delivered in that fourth quarter. I'm just happy for the guys, man. Uh, so, Adam, can you just like elaborate a little bit more as why you were calling it a rope-a-dope performance? Yeah, I mean, I generally don't think like it wasn't something I was considering at the time. But thinking back, I'm like, man, 
you guys are playing some stagnant offense. You're letting it, you're letting Milwaukee settle into their defensive schemes. They feel like they're getting everything they want. And then all of a sudden you start mismatch hunting again. You start driving yeah. and kicking and you take guys by surprise because you've been playing a certain way for the first like 25 minutes of the game. And then all of a sudden the entire offensive approach just switches up. There's more movement. There's more screening actions. There's more off ball cuts. And all of a sudden, the defense is like, we've been so settled in the way we've defended you for the first half of the game. And now all of a sudden, everything's different. Guys start having, you start forcing guys who are poor lateral movers to be able to start moving laterally. Like, you know, when did you see Brooke Lopez get pulled onto the perimeter in the first half of the game? It was almost, it didn't happen. Second half of the game, they're going at, they're going at Brooke, they're going at um, Portis, you know. Brooke Lopez first half of the game was dominating at times. I was, I was concerned. I think we all said that during yeah. the playback too. We were concerned. Second half of the game is a non-factor because yeah. all of a sudden they've just changed it. The defense hunkered down. I mean, well, we, we were saying this just before playback closed down. You kind of uh, brought it up. You know, less than 40 points in the second half for Milwaukee. Like, come on, that that's a defensive lockdown, man. That's a yeah. clinic. These dudes, like, just played possum for a little while and then all of a sudden it, it all got ratcheted up. Now, let's be honest, it may probably, like, really tore into them at halftime and that's what lit that fire. <laughs> But, you know, I want to say rope-a-dope, it sounds better. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I think really it was, you know, whether it was the nerves of Game 7 or, you know, just sometimes it's not even nerves, sometimes it's being too amped up. And I think the we let the Bucks dictate our offensive flow a little bit early on. And even though we were getting open looks, it wasn't the way, and I think you had mentioned this, uh, Adam, it wasn't the way that we wanted to get the open looks. It wasn't off of movement. It wasn't off of paint touches. And I think you started to see that shift throughout the game. And then, you know, when we hit that halftime, Greg already brought up, you know, that big Marcus Smart three that we got to get, go from two to five. And then you think about that first two minute stretch in the second half when the game started. And I think Adam, you were still, you were still coming back to the playback room. So you might've missed, missed this part, but the Celtics going an 11, two run to start the half. They have three threes that go in from Grant, Jalen and Tatum. And then JB also adds in a two point field goal from that. That really set the tone and created the separation when you when you combo in that extra three points that you got from Marcus Smart. So you get those extra three points, you go from two to five, then you go on an 11-2 run. And after that, and this is something that we've all talked about a bunch of times, like this Celtics defense is so good that when they get a lead, it's hard to claw back. Like it's hard to go on these elongated runs to make up those gaps. So when the Celtics gave themselves that little bit of distance, the pressure then from what, what should have been a two-point game at halftime really quickly in a just over two-minute span became a really tough uphill battle for the Bucks to climb back through. And just like I've been saying all post, all series for this, you're going to feel that absence of Chris Middleton. They didn't have a second guy to score. You said Brooke Lopez in the first half, you know, had it going a little bit. Drew Holiday never got it going really in this game. And so Giannis, you know, he just ran out of steam. You think about the load that Giannis has carried. He was amazing in this series. I can't overstate how amazing that that he was in throughout this entire series. And the fact that this is a bad game. Like this was a bad game for Giannis and he was 25-20 and nine, but he shot 10 to 26. So that's a credit to the Celtics defense, but also, you know, highlights the fact that, that once they got that gap, once they got that lead early on in the second half, it was going to become near impossible for the, for the bucks to make that up. And especially when the difference from three point is see, what was it? What did it end up being 22 to four? You, you got no chance. That's wild. 22 to that's four. Insane, what, right? What's the math on that? It's like some like 50 Plus 18. points. Oh, you're talking Plus, about the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 54 points. That's 54 points. That's crazy. Um, yeah, you don't need to do the math. Well, I got it. 54 points. 
Yep. I got I'm just it. double check. Just double check. We're yeah. thorough here. Calculator up here. No, but second quarter. So Bucks win the first quarter 26 20. Celtics win 28 17, 31 21, 30 to 17. So that like Middleton absence, as you said, going throughout the entire series, yeah, that's huge. But even throughout this game, there was just less and less options for the Bucs. And it seemed like the only option they had was for Giannis to reach into avatar mode. And he was unable to do that. It was like after, I, do you guys watch Avatar? Do you get that reference? When Aang gets like. I know what the show is. I've never seen okay. it. Okay. Yeah, there's, there's one. Oh, we're not talking about the movie. No, I'm talking about the, well, I mean, there is a movie like Avatar <laughs> Last Airbender, but the TV show. Oh, we're so, talking about Airbender. No, I don't know that one. Okay. I'll, I'll forget the reference then, but it was a good reference. <laughs> okay. Everyone out there, everyone out there that knows Avatar Last Airbender, you know, when Aang gets hit in the back by, um, what's it, Zuko's sister, then he just loses all of his powers and he has a real, real hard time getting back into Avatar mode. But it felt like that's what happened to Giannis today. I don't know exactly when it was where he lost that Avatar state, but he didn't have it in the fourth quarter especially. I mean, we were talking about it during playback. He missed four layups point blank at the rim, inches from the rim. He just didn't have it, man. And then the Celtics also played without following tonight. Giannis only shot six free throws. After getting to the line, however many times he got, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it seemed like he was living at the free throw line, especially in that last game where he took damn near 20 free throws. Four for six from the line tonight. He didn't quite have the juice that he's had all series. And then Grayson Allen still played 22 minutes, 0 for 6, 0 for 4. You know, Wes Matthews, we were talking about early in the series, Will, you and I, if Wes Matthews is going to beat us, that just doesn't feel like a thing that should happen in the year 2022. You know what I mean? In the year of Jason Tatum, that should not happen. And it didn't. You know, after those first couple games, Wes Matthews became a non-factor, and then Tatum ended up being Tatum. I mean, the other thing is as well, and I don't know if you agree with this, like whether or not you agree with that they performed well together. But this was one of those games for me where Jalen and Jason got it going at the same time. You know, they were playing off of each other instead of with each other, which is something we spoke about extensively on this show previously. So for me, I'm just like, yo, when those two guys are playing at a high level at the same time, there's not a team in the league that scares me. And as we said, as we were closing out that, um, that other room we were doing, it was very much a, you've beat Durant, You've beat Giannis. Now you go on to beat Jimmy Butler. That's that's what's up next, right? Now you've got Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, six man of the year, Tyler Hero, and probably no Kyle Lowry because he's barely been available in the postseason. And then you move on. So I think that by doing what they've done in the first two series, now don't get me wrong, game seven could have gone either way. It, it, it genuinely could have. Both teams deserve their flowers because they, they it was it was a slugfest. But now I'm kind of like, yo, if, if, we, if this is the Jalen and Jason we're getting and they can do this consistently at the same time, I'm not that concerned now about Miami. I feel like Milwaukee was a tougher task than what Miami. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Miami is mm-hmm. going to be easy, but I think Milwaukee was the tougher task. So I agree with you, Adam, in the sense that and I felt and here's where I'm a little tentative because I feel like I probably felt similarly when we got to the bubble, even though you're looking at a younger Celtic team at that time, is that the the Celtics should be favored, I think. And I think the Celtics, I, I expect them to win the series, but... You think back to, and we've referenced this before, I believe it was when uh, Jason Tatum was on Old Man 3 with J.J. Redick. He talked about how difficult that Toronto series was in the bubble and how much it took out of them just to get through that round. As you just laid out, 
this has been a vicious series. This has been a slobber knocker is what I think Adam called it earlier. Like this has been two gargantuans throwing haymakers. And listen, we swept the nets, but those were close games. Those were all very close games, very physical games. Like this has not been, you know, an easy, you know, first two rounds for the Celtics to get by. Obviously the health of Rob Williams will play a role. And, you know, like, I, I agree that I think the Bucks were probably the tougher test. Certainly if they had Middleton, they would have been. But, you know, I, I think the the Heat had a little bit of an easier first two rounds. They get a couple extra days to rest. Like, I do think that that's going to play a role. Kyle Lowry or not. And Jimmy Butler is one of those guys that just shows up in the moment. Right. He, he shows up in the moment. Bam has always been a guy that kind of gives us problems. And I think Tyler Hero will be a big X factor. He was huge in that series in the bubble. We'll see what Tyler Hero shows up. It's been kind of hit or miss some of these games. But I, I'm a little hesitant to go ahead and, and write off the heat. Not even saying that you are, Adam, but because I do feel that I would once again, I'm going to pick the Celtics to win this series. I don't know you know, how long it's going to take, but I'm going to pick the Celtics. But I, I, I'm a, I don't want to underestimate what this heat team brings to the table. Yeah, the Heat are a little scary, man. I, did you guys watch much of the Heat Sixers series? I know the Sixers were a shell of themselves with Embiid being out and Harden just like not being an NBA player anymore. Um, what what were your thoughts on watching the Heat versus the Sixers? Because when I was watching that series, I saw a team that I think actually offers a little bit more depth, right, than the Bucks do. The Bucks pretty much had Giannis, Holiday, and then nobody, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, the Heat are 10 deep. For sure, yeah. they're they're ten deep, and they've got shooters that can really spread the Celtics floor, uh, Celtics defense out. Max Struess, old friend Max Struess, is now like starting for them and um, really making an impact, even on the defensive end. He's a he's a strong defender, um, as we saw in that game in which the Celtics, um, you know, lost to them down the stretch where Tatum had that big offensive foul on Struess, very similar to the Grayson Allen play actually that happened tonight. Um, and I, I'm just a little bit more concerned about the Heat honestly than I was about the Bucks. you know I, uh, Giannis is the big bad in the Eastern Conference and in the league but Jimmy Butler is is a heck of a problem for this team Bam Adebayo Jason Tatum is going to have to get over that moment at the rim that happened in the bubble because Will and I have talked about this we still feel like he's got some like PTSD from getting blocked at the rim in that in that moment and then they've got other guys that can really make a difference on the floor. PJ Tucker, I think, was a great addition for them. Um, the Martin kid off the bench for them is really is, is really important. Um, you know, if if Kyle Lowry comes back, he he's always a thorn in the side of the Celtics. So they they've got some guys to to be worried about. Duncan Robinson has kind of fallen out of favor there with Spolstra. Hero, he does make a difference against other teams, but against the Celtics, I feel like we're going to be able to contain him, especially with the addition of Derek White and other guys that can kind of like counter counter punch um, what he brings off the bench. And I think we can really attack them. But in general, I think the Heat offer some depth that the the Bucks did not have, and I think that could be the Celtics' kryptonite. So you see, what I've got is I've got the wall. Okay, so Miami doesn't have someone as dominant as KD or Durant, right? And I think that's a big plus. With the depth, I think that that's what the Celtics have been built to counter this year because the Celtics have depth too, you know? I, I, but the Celtics are like eight deep instead of 10, right? But Depending on Rob's health too. Which we'll, yeah. we'll, he was available today, but obviously, you know, didn't play. So I think that is a slight indication that he's not fully back to, to health yet. And I think that when this team has been built and constructed by Brad throughout the season. I genuinely believe he's had Miami an eye on Miami throughout, you know, because, and I think that the way this team is built now is very much 
to be able to grind out a series against another team with incredible depth. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, Duncan Robinson's not really seeing minutes at the moment, but Struess is. They've still got that scoring ability coming off the bench there. Hero can get buckets or Hero, whoever I want to pronounce it, can get buckets <laughs> off the dribble. He can get it off the drive, off the catch. He's super versatile too. But what we've seen in this series is like, you know, okay, so Milwaukee didn't have great offensive pieces, but they had guys that could get hot. Grayson Allen had games where he could get hot, not consistently, obviously. But what I'm trying to get at is in without a dominant factor in this series, we like Jimmy Butler's great. Jimmy Butler's been playing phenomenal basketball this postseason, but he's not a, a Giannis or a KD. And I don't fear the heat as much in the simple fact is that they don't have that transcendent guy. You know what I'm saying? Where Boston do, Boston have Tatum. And that doesn't, that's no disrespect to Miami. I, I still think Miami is probably another seven game series. I genuinely think that goes down to the wire again, six or seven. But the depth that everybody's concerned about with Miami, I think that Boston have, has enough to match that, especially if it's eight deep. Yeah. My biggest thing with, with Miami, and, and like I said, I, I think, you know, I, we've talked a lot about what these last two series have meant for Jason Tatum in the hierarchy of the NBA. And clearly he's ascending into that, you know, top five, you know, fringe category, whatever it is, you know, Tatum's right there. He's, he's there amongst the top of the top. Jimmy Butler has a way of, of putting himself in moments. He doesn't do it necessarily with the consistency across the season that some of these, that guys like Tatum starting to do Giannis, Kevin Durant do. But Butler steps up in those moments, and you look at his postseason stats right now, very similar to what we've been getting out of Jason Tatum. Both are right at 28.8 points per game. Both are averaging, you know, Jimmy's actually out-rebounding Tatum right now, and the assists are basically even. So he does have the ability to match up. But I think, for me, what it's going to come down to, though, is I'm I'm very suspect about Miami's end-of-game offense. I feel like there's a, and I like Tyler Hero, but I feel like it's, it, there's a lot of Tyler Hero that needs to be involved for it to be run at its, at its peak. And that's, you know, that's where I start to get, you know, questioning of like, okay, how are we going to lose a series to a team that's relying on Tyler Hero when we, when we rely on Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum? And that feels like it should be a differentiator. And like I said, I know, I know Butler can step up and, and Bam's a great facilitator, but if you've watched some of the Miami heat closing games, Tyler hero has to be involved offensively, but he can also be exploited defensively. And I think at times when it gets to, you know, crunch time, I, I feel like the Celtics are going to have more opportunities to exploit, whether it's mismatches or holes within the heat. But that said, I'm with you, Adam. I think this is going six or seven and I think it's going to be another grueling series. Yeah, and to Will's point that he was making earlier in terms of the the physicality that this series and the, and the had and the toll that it took on us, and he compared it to the Celtics coming off that Raptors series, right? Where we had to go seven with the Raptors and we ran out of gas against the Heat. Very similar in this situation. The Celtics are going every other day from here on out. You know, it's 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 Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. You know, the 17th, 19th, 20, 21st, 23rd, 25th, 27th, 29th. They're not going to get another two days off, um, maybe until they, they reach the finals, which I would expect there would be a couple days off in between the, the conference finals and the finals. So it's going to be it's going to be an absolute grind um, to Will's other point that he was just making about Tyler Hero. Just watching the way that the Heat functioned in the playoffs as I watched a good amount of the Heat during the regular season. 
they definitely rely less on Hero in the playoffs than they had in the regular season. Mm-hmm. I think that's because Jimmy Butler has decided to take his game to another level. Even the the aggressiveness that he's shown um, shooting the ball from three in the regular season, he was barely shooting the ball from three. He's been far more aggressive shooting it. The numbers are reflecting that as well. And I think the eye test will tell you that Jimmy Butler, is, although he's not Kevin Durant, although he's not Giannis, he did just lead a team to the finals two years ago, and he was transcendent in that finals. The thing, Jimmy Butler wasn't the issue in the finals against the Lakers. It was Dragic had gotten hurt and Bam had gotten hurt, right? So it was just Jimmy. And now Jimmy's got some some guys riding with him. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say that the Celtics should be overwhelming favorites in this series, although I do feel great about it. I felt great about it going into the bubble. I thought we were going to smoke them in the bubble, and we didn't. So I'm a little bit concerned because of, you know, all of the – um, analogs that we're being able to draw between these two series uh, from the bubble and the series that's upcoming. But as much as, you know, that that series felt like a learning curve for the Celtics in last season against the the Nets and then this season against the Nets and how we were able to completely flip the script on that, you would expect that the Celtics, two more years of maturity, can really handle business against the Heat. Jason Tatum just beat Kevin Durant. He just beat Giannis. We're expecting him to continue to catapult himself into the upper echelon conversation of the NBA. And I think this is his year, man. I really do. And I, I expect the Celtics to beat the Heat. Let me ask you guys a quick question here. So I touched on it briefly that Rob was active today, didn't play. And they kind of hinted at like it was going to be a real emergency case if if Rob plays. And, and we saw early on in the series, even before that, that bone bruise, which I think took place. I don't know if it was game two or game three um, when that happened, but it was separate from the from the knee that he had surgery on. And but we had seen that early on that this, you know, Rob was certainly going to he could he would have helped. He would not have hurt. But it was a series in which he wasn't at his full effectiveness the way that Giannis was going to attack him. And, and you know, in some ways, you know, Grant and Al were, were just the better matchups when you look at kind of our big man rotation. Looking at what Miami brings to the table and where Bam is such a focal point of both their defense and offense. How important do we think it's going to be to get some version of of Rob, knowing that he's probably not going to be the 100% Rob that that we've seen in the regular season, but getting some form of whatever it is, 80-90% of Rob, how important do we think it is for this matchup compared to what we just witnessed? Personally, I think it's going to be hugely important. I mean, first of all, when you're talking about guarding Jimmy and having somebody that's playing in a free role, like free safety role there considering jimmy's very much a rim pressure and mid-range dude he's not really going to try and hurt you from deep having a shot deterrent that can rotate over and start challenging those shots is going to be primary option number one but you know i don't like i don't like the idea of putting rob on adebayo too much because adebayo does a lot of his offensive creation around that high mid post that high, like mid to high post and if you're bringing rob up that high in a man coverage then you're taking away what's made him so exceptional this year as having him on the, like, a weaker defender on the weak side and roaming over uh i'd like i like grant on that matchup more i just think grant gives you a little bit more on bam uh, but oh, and then on offense, like you know, having Rob setting screens, slipping that vertical verticality. I mean, I haven't watched a ton of Miami this year, so please, I'm asking this is a question now. Do they have anyone that can match Rob's athleticism? Like, is there anyone there that can literally jump with him to try and challenge him at the rim when even and when he explodes? No, 
No, they don't. They don't have anyone. I think Adebayo is is the closest guy to that. But even Rob, I think Rob is another level of athlete. Bam's a better, you know, perimeter defender. He's stronger than Rob is. But in terms of just verticality, Rob is going to be the most explosive vertical athlete in this series. And just real quick on your point about Butler, he averaged two three pointers per game in the regular season, and in that last series, he averaged four point seven. 20% in the regular season, 32.5 in that last, you know, it's not a great number, 32.5, but he, he's been far more aggressive shooting that three, um, you know, just you reading out. though when Embiid's in the, in the paint? Yeah, and he, yep. I mean, he went at Embiid, though, man. Like, when he, I think Embiid, as great of a defender as he is, Butler is just one of those guys that I, I feel like people always underestimate how much um, he can he can use his body to play through people and he played through Embiid many times in that series. And I, I I'm always just a little bit hesitant to bet against Jimmy Butler because the guy just knows how to play basketball. He's super strong. And I think in the past he's been too much for Marcus smart. He's been too much for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And hopefully they've gotten to the point now where, you know, they just look Kevin Durant in the eye, they look Giannis in the eye. Now they can look Jimmy Butler in the eye and be like, Hey, it's our time. We got now you had the pass. We don't have next. We got now, and this is our moment. So I think that's a. Oh, go ahead, Adam. No, it's all right. Just before I forget this thought, and I'll let you go. Um, the one thing I do want to point out is Giannis missed the first. Giannis Embiid missed the first game or two with an orbital fracture. Wasn't at one hundred percent for the entire series. Mm-hmm. I'm not taking anything away from what Miami did, but what I am saying is like. To a lot of people are kind of crowning Miami conference champions. I've seen it on social media the last few days. Like, yo, Miami, ta- Miami dealt with Embiid and Harden handily. You know, Tyrese Max is there, Tobias Harris there. It's not like Philadelphia isn't like stacked for talent, but their top two players, one just wasn't engaged and one was operating at like 65%. Like, I do feel like, and sometimes like for me, I'm like, maybe you at least get to steal the first game because people start drinking that Kool-Aid. The same reason Milwaukee stole that first game against Boston after the se- after their Brooklyn series. Sometimes you just drink too much of that Kool-Aid. Sorry, yeah. Bro. No, no, you're good. I, I think game one will be interesting because I think with this, the quick turnaround and Miami having been off since I think Thursday or so, you know, they're going to be pretty rested. And, but also there's kind of that momentum factor. And we see this a little bit with the last couple of years with the play-in games, right? Where some teams kind of, they've, they've got a little bit of a head start as to that playoff feel. And then they come in and they, and they get game one. And so, I don't know, I, I'm, I really, I'm not sure what's going to happen in that game one. I think it will be very interesting to see how, you know, how affected the Celtics are from this, from this past series. But, but something I wanted to touch on that, that you said, Greg, you know, and we've been talking about in this conversation, it is a little bit different where now Tatum and JB and all the Celtics can look, can look across the the table at the Miami heat and say, we just stared down Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. We just stared down the defending champions and MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo. When you think back to the bubble, that team was still kind of finding its footing. Right. They, I mean, they beat the Raptors who were technically defending champions, but no Kawhi Leonard. It's a different team. It's just a different feel, right? That that's not the same level of what you just went up against. They beat the Sixers in that first round of the bubble. No Ben Simmons. They had him be, that was the Horford year where things just didn't feel and fit right. And, you know, they didn't really have anything to kind of look back and say, you know, we're that dude, we're that dudes, plural. And specifically Jason Tatum, I'm that guy. 
no one's telling me that I'm not top five, top 10 anymore. Like, this is my league. Like, everyone wants to talk about, you know, Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, rightfully so. Luka's coming. But what about Jason Tatum? This is Jason Tatum's conference now. Like, there's part of him that can look to that and say, I'm the big dog. Now, granted, Jimmy's not just going to give it to him. Jimmy's going to step up and say, I've been to the finals. You haven't. In fact, I beat you to go to the finals. And he's going to feel like he's the big dog. He always feels like he's, you know, disrespected and underrated and that's you know that's that's the chip that he plays with on his shoulder that's part of what makes him so great but I do think that is a big difference for the Celtics coming into this is that they feel like they've they've accomplished a bit more especially with like the road environments that they played in the bubble doesn't give you that and so I think there is a, a different level of confidence for this team going into this series versus Miami as compared to two years ago in the bubble. Yeah, and this is going to test my theory, man. I, I I always said that the Celtics would have won in the fi- in in the bubble against the Heat if we had either kept Grant Williams on the floor or if we had never let go of Al Horford in the first place. Both of them will you be know? there now, <laughs> and both of them are going to be there. And that that was the thing that killed us is that we had Tice playing those minutes against Bam, and Bam ended up just completely big boying him all all down the stretch in that series. And the fact that Tice is now our fourth big man. And like we'll get spot minutes. I thought Tice was great, by the way, tonight. I think it was his it was best game in a while. I was really impressed with what he was able to offer for us. I think that the Celtics should win this series against the Heat, man. I'm just looking at their their top eight or nine guys, right? So this was their starting lineup in the game uh, game six against no game five against the the Sixers. They had PJ Tucker, Jimmy Butler, Adebayo, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, right? That's their starting five, and then they got Martin Deadman. Hero, Oladipo, and Robinson. So they they went 10 deep, but probably they're going to go eight deep because that was a blowout game. You know, so like Victor Oladipo, is is this really going to be like his his coming out party or return to return to glory series? Um, Tyler Hero, we've already talked about him. Dwayne Dedman, you know, that's been a name that's been around for ages. But Gabe, without Kyle Lowry being prime Kyle Lowry, which I don't think he's going to be in these playoffs, when I look at that roster, I just think we have the better roster. You know, they might be like one or two guys more deep, but to Adam's point from earlier in the pod, like the Celtics are deep enough. We have seven to eight guys that we can put out there, especially if Rob can give us something in this next series. And like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not scared of that lineup, man. Tucker, Butler, Adebayo, Vincent, and Struess. Like if the Celtics can't come out victorious in that series, something went wrong. And I mean, the only thing that's really concerning me right now is... And I've harped on about this since the bubble, man, because I was really impressed with the way Miami executed it and how, it, how much trouble it gave Boston. Is that inverted 3 2 zone? You know, so for anybody listening, anybody watching, the, the reason it's inverted is because instead of having your guards at the front of the zone guarding the perimeter, what Miami did in the bubble was they switched their wings and their bigs to the forefront, right? So your wings were guarding the perimeter along with the big man, and then your guards were down at the back, right? Guarding, like, you know, on the low, on the on the dunker spot, weak and strong side. 
and then kind of roaming out to the corners to deal with corner shooters. And what that did was it made penetrating off the dribble incredibly hard, especially even off ball. It was really difficult because you had big, strong, lengthy dudes just making it super difficult to get any form of interior actions going. And with the way the Celtics play this, like this season, we saw that my uh, Milwaukee had the most success this se- this series when they limited Boston's ability to get into the paint because Boston's entire perimeter offense that, um, you know, good offense at least is generated from multiple driving kick actions. So if you're struggling to penetrate, then you're going to struggle to score if you're Boston. And I think that's what Milwaukee did uh, really well in game three, if I recall. Um, So I am, I think Spolstra goes back to that early, probably game one, game two, just to see obviously different coach, different personnel, everybody on this roster that was there when, when Miami done that in the bubble have vastly improved, but you're going to want to see, right? I mean, yeah. you had so much success with it. You're going to want to pull it in place, even if it's just for a four or five minute stretch, just to test the water, see how everybody reacts, see what type of struggles you give them, if any. But if that is an issue and all of a sudden Boston can't break down this zone again, that's when I start to get concerned. Yeah, I think the zone's going to play a major role, and I think we're all remembering back to, you know, both the Raptors and the Heat in the bubble basically went to to zones, and that's what, what kind of broke that team, was not being able to figure out those zones. And I think you bring up another great point, Adam, is Eric Spolstra. Eric Spolstra's an amazing coach. I think he's one of the top easily three coaches in the league. I think a lot of people would even say he I might be the one. best coach in the league. Yeah, exactly. I, and I think that's, you know, he's right there. And, you know, as great as as we've seen Ime be, and I think Ime's been really excellent this postseason, probably something that we may, maybe we don't even talk about enough is how great he's been. He's still a rookie head coach, right? So you think of all the battles that Eric Spolster has been in multiple NBA finals appearance, multiple playoff runs. And we know that he's a guy that's not afraid to experiment and fly. Like there's going to be a bit of call and response from these two coaches. And as much as, you know, I, I want to praise Eme for the job he just did in this round, Bud's a different, I mean, excuse me, Spoh's a different level than Bud, right? Spoh's a guy that that's really going to test you for what's your counter moves because I'm going to have multiple moves and I'm not going to be afraid. Like Spoh Spo and Nick Nurse are two guys I look at in the NBA that their, their level of coaching, I'm, I'm expecting to see something we haven't even seen yet. You know what I mean? I'm expecting that they have something that's in their back pocket that they're almost waiting to to whip out in the postseason when it's like now's now's the time for us to run whatever set it is, whatever play it is. Like you said, the inverted um, the inverted zone was something that I feel like we hadn't seen or weren't expecting. Definitely a zone approach, but maybe not that style of zone. And so I'm expecting some type of wild card that we're going to see from Eric Spolstra. And I'm, I'm very excited to see what the response is going to be on the Celtics end. Yeah, and that's a great point, man. I mean, if you look back at the two coaches that Ime just beat, he just beat Steve Nash, who's still a relatively new head coach, you know, and hasn't actually gotten rave reviews of what he's done in Brooklyn. And then Bud, who everyone was calling for his head last year before they, they ended up winning the finals because, you know, the, the, the what the players did. It wasn't necessarily what Bud did. It was just Giannis went to another level, Holiday found his groove, and Chris Middleton was there. Chris Middleton wasn't there this year, you know. So it's going to be really interesting to see Ime and what he's able to do against a guy like Spo, who I think most people would agree is the best coach in the NBA at this point. Um, you know, Pop 
I think had that had that for quite some time, and he's still right up there with him. But Spo's been really impressive what he's been able to do with this Heat franchise since he took over way back when. Um, I still remember Spo being, you know, the video coordinator and being there watching a game in like 2005, and he was working out Dwayne Wade before the game, and I was like, "Who's this young guy running around?" And now they're like, "He's he's he is the guy in the NBA." Yeah. When you think of like the best coaches, you think of Spo. And it's going to be great for Ime to be able to cut his teeth in in the Eastern Conference Finals against Spo, and um, you know hopefully that coaching disparity, which it seems like right now, even though Ime has been great, you you would never say he's Spo's level. Hopefully, it's not as wide of a gap yeah. as the Heat need it to be for them to be successful in this series. So this has been on my mind since probably Game Four of this series, and it's nothing spectacular, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> What what a setup! What what an undersell of a setup there. <laughs> yeah, because like it's just so dis- like so many people are gonna disagree, and it's just like it it even I'm questioning whether I'm gl- cr- like cr- um grasping at straws with this, you know. But I'm like, yo, it's late, dude. It's like midnight. Leave me be. Um, I'm like, yo, you have Tatum and Brown that both like Tatum especially that had postseason success as a rookie. And it really put them on a path towards what what they're becoming now, right? And then you get this young coach that's all of a sudden having postseason success as a rookie that could put, and if he, like, you know, if you get to the conference finals in your first year as a coach with a team that were a first-round exit last year that isn't really much different, like, you're being put on a similar path towards that, that echelon, right? And I do agree. I don't think Ime has been tested from an X's and O standpoint all season because regular season, you're not really going to go deep into your playbook because you don't you don't want to reveal everything that you've got. You know, that's like going to a poker game and telling everyone what cards you drew in the first, first hand or giving away your tells. You don't bluff too early. Um, so I think that that's definitely going to be a big factor, right? Like how can Ime Udoka deal with the chess battle? Now we know Brad Stevens could do that. I personally think Ime Udoka can handle that perfectly fine like i'm not asking you to outwit spolstra i'm asking you to be one step below him because in two or three years i think you'll be ready to outwit the dude i also think as well like you know coaching staffs matter in these type of instances right like if you get out coached in game one or game two having a good coaching staff that really know their ball and are going to hold you accountable they're the ones that are going to be able to come up with counters as well. And I think that Ime is one of these guys that's going to listen to the collective, whereas other coaches might be like, yeah, thanks for your input, but I know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Ime seems to be very more, uh, you know, Ime listen, Ime not. I think Ime will listen. Um, <laughs> the I'm dad jokes back. are back from Adam. I'm bringing it back. But no, man, like I'm just saying that, you know, I feel like this this entire playoff run is just putting Ime on the map as like one of the better young coaches in the league. And this is two coaches in two now that have come in and had some early success with the team. Um, but I, I'm excited, man. I, I'm, I'm It's midnight and I just want to go and watch more basketball. Oh, man. Well, I'm excited for the series. I mean, I think you said it before, and I think this is probably a good place for us to start bringing the bringing the pod to so that Adam can can get to bed before before he falls asleep face first into his mic here while we're podding is, you know, I, I think this is going to be another tough, grueling series. So I, I think we're at that point. We got to make some predictions, boys. Today's been great. Game seven. Best two words in sports. It's been a hell of a day. It's been a blast. Grant was amazing. Today was awesome. But sadly, very quickly, 
we and the Boston Celtics have to move on. Have to move on because Tuesday night is game one. Very quick turnaround, right back at it, Eastern Conference Finals. So, Greg, l- let's go with you, then we'll go to Adam, and then I'll, I'll I'll wrap it up here with my prediction. Greg, what do you? What is your prediction for this series? Man, um, Celtics in six. I think it's going to be really hard to win on the road in a game seven. Uh, so I think we need to take care of business. I don't think we win game one, although the Celtics have been surprising me all season long with how gritty and resilient they are. I just think that turnaround from this game seven into a game one with one day's rest and one day of preparation, it's a lot to ask of the guys. Um, we need to get that split. You know, we need to get split in the first two games. And then I think the Celtics, once once they crack the code, whatever that whatever needs to be cracked, I think the talent disparity and just overall I think that the team is just better than every other team that I've seen this, this year. I've watched a lot of basketball this year and the only other team in the whole league that I've been worried about is the Phoenix suns and everybody else. I'm like, okay, yeah, they have this guy, they have that guy, but I still think our team is better. So I think the Celtics win this in six. I think that Marcus Smart is still icing his groin after that Giannis. (laughs) So uh, I'd be icing it until game time on Tuesday. Dude, I'll be icing it until I'm 50. Like, <laughs> that was a brutal knee. So I've got, I, I agree with Greg. I see Boston dropping game one, but I still think Boston do it in six or seven. I do think this has the potential to be a seven game series. I also think it has the potential to be an, a quick, a quick over and done, you know, like Thunderbirds are go type of thing. Um, you know, but I'm going to go Boston in six. I think that, uh, I think they drop the first one. I think they win the second. I think they win the third, drop the fourth. And then I think they win consecutive games to, to close it out. Okay. I'm, I'm I'm very much in line with, with what y'all are saying. I think it's imperative to split. I'm going to go with Celtics in six for the reason Greg talked about. That game seven at home, we saw it did matter today. You know, both teams in the series against the Bucks, like, you know, had won multiple games on the road. But at the end of the day, having that crowd when you're making those runs, like, that does matter in a game seven. You start to get those thoughts in the back of your mind that maybe you can put out of the way in games three or four or game five when you know there's another day to live, there's another game to play. When there's just nothing else and no one's on your side and everyone is rooting against you, like, that is going to play some type of factor. The one thing that I, I'll, I'll predict is a little different. I'll zag from you guys here. Is I think I mentioned this earlier. Sometimes with the play and you get a little bit of momentum, even though you've played more games, but you have that momentum that you're still feeding off that energy. And with the quick turnaround, you don't really have time to think about it. So I do think, uh, in my mind, I think the Celtics are going to take the momentum of today, the continuity, the way that they're playing from today, steamroll that directly down to South Beach take game one and then I think game two you're going to see a little bit of a of a letdown in the sense that they just need a breather like they're going to you know not, I don't say let their guard down but it's just going to be time where it's been so one day after another that I think it's going to catch up with them by game two but I think game one they're going to be living off that high coming from game seven that they're going to take that momentum steal game one because that's like I said that has to be imperative if they lose both games in Miami I do start to get pretty worried about this series, even though, you know, we're still going to have two more home games coming up after that. If they were to lose both in Miami, then you really got to start thinking about winning four out of five from a team that's, that's gritty as hell. That's going to be in your grill just the same way we are. We talked about how when the Celtics get a lead teams struggle to fight back. I think you could say the same thing about Miami because that defense is going to be up there with Bam and Jimmy at the head of that snake. Like, 
that's something you don't want to have to deal with when you're, you know, trying to survive four out of five in a row. So you got to get one of these two in Miami. I'm going to say they get game one, let down in game two, and then we come back to Boston all tied up at one. But Celtics in six is my ultimate prediction. All I know is I really wish we had the rights to play Will Smith's song right now. Getting jiggy with it? I'm going to Miami. I blew that one. <laughs> well, I think that's enough for us, man. I'm, 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 like I said, well, I'm, I'm so still, disappointed in you right I'm, now. I'm, I'm, I'm still, yo, I'm, st- I'm still thinking about Game Seven. I'm, I'm, I'm still in the in the post game Game Seven, getting jiggy with it vibe. We're, we're going to Miami. I'm not on the plane yet. I'm still in the lock. I'm still in yo, the locker room. Yo, yo, Will, Will. Oh my God, bro. The fact that you're able to like. Look at look at yourself right now is amazing. That that's a difference between me and you. If I had flubbed that the way that you just flubbed that, I would have went off camera and left the pod. You're just smiling through, and that's why I love you, man. You're able to get brilliant. water off a duck's back, man. That's what you are. <laughs> right, everyone. If you've enjoyed the show, we'll be back again on Wednesday. If you like these live streams, we live stream during recording, so that'll be on Tuesday afternoon Eastern time. Until then, everybody, make sure if you've been drinking lots, go get some water. If you haven't been drinking lots, then you're going to be able to sleep okay. I, don't, I haven't been drinking, but, you know, I'm going to struggle. My adrenaline is pumping. Uh, I don't know what to say, dude. I'm literally operating on adrenaline right now. Everybody go follow the show. As usual, please share, 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 whether that be on Twitter, on Facebook, on Reddit, on Instagram. Share it, tag us, and we'll share it too. It's better when you share it than we do because that's what we're meant to do. And when you share it, it's because you want to do it that means a lot more until then you can catch this podcast over on celtics blog apple go to apple go to spotify wherever type in celtics blog it'll be there this is a crossover episode so make sure you go check this out if you want to you know listen to it twice go over and go to um, the 617 podcast to listen to it listen to it on will and greg's feed uh, they do some dope work over there and we will be back later in the week. Thank you very much for joining in. If you've watched us live, you've been a wonderful, wonderful audience. Not that, you know, I've never said that before, but it was funny. Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am. It's something that I do.